The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Greetings and welcome to the Boxing Esquire Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It in the Ring Network. It's my pleasure to have as my guest on this episode the undisputed women's world welterweight champion and unified WBC WBA junior welterweight champion Jessica McCaskill and her manager and trainer Rick Ramos. We talked about their backgrounds growing up in Illinois and how both of them came to the sport of boxing. Spoke to Jessica about her time at Pagedale Boxing in St. Louis with my late friend and mentor Marvin Coots Millette. May he rest in peace. I talked with Rick about his opening of the Body Shot Boxing Gym and how he competes with the fitness gyms and stays afloat during the pandemic. We got into how Jessica's big fights with Katie Taylor and Cecilia Brekus got made and how Rick thought he might have burned a bridge with Eddie Hearn at some point. We spoke about how difficult it is to fight in your hometown and the challenges of maintaining focus while being pulled in a million different directions marketing the fight. Uh, we also discussed what's next for Jessica and how big fight rematches with Katie Taylor and Cecilia Brekus might happen and possibly a super fight with Clarissa Shields. Uh, all of those are in play. So great conversation. Hope you enjoy. It is my distinct pleasure to have as my guests uh, on this episode the undisputed welterweight champion of women's boxing, Jessica McCaskill, and her trainer, Rick Ramos. Welcome yeah. to the Boxing Esquire podcast, Jessica and Rick. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Cool. Uh, how you guys doing today? Um, doing good. It's, it's Sunday and, you know, we stick to our routine. So I'm not sparring. I'm just starting my workout after, uh, the fights, but, um, the sparring is happening this morning in a few hours. So we're here at the gym as usual, just kind of getting everything rolling. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I usually talk to on, on this podcast, writers or lawyers or promoters about the business side of, of boxing, but you guys have such an interesting story. Uh, actually, Jessica, I think you're like the first active uh, fighter I've had on the show, so I'm, oh, I'm, I'm wow. excited. <laughs> <laughs> had, I've had former fighters. I had Buddy McGirt on, but never like a, an active fighter talk, to talk business. But uh, hey, listen, I want to congratulate you on your monumental win over one of the all-time great fighters, uh, Cecilia Brekus, uh, earlier this month. I mean, you hey. know, Cecilia's been welterweight champ since 2009, was unbeaten in 36 fights coming into your fight. So uh, it's a really big effing deal that you upset her. <laughs> so has it all sunk in yet? Yeah, it's it's sunk in. Like the, the night of was pretty epic. I mean, just it felt like the world was like moving so fast and so slow at the same time. And there were a couple people that actually drove to Oklahoma from, you know, our boxing family. And we got a chance to just hang out and got a chance to break the bubble a little bit finally and um, just spend time with each other. And our phones were going crazy. And, you know, the last time I looked at my phone, it was like 3 a.m. I have no idea what time we actually fell asleep. But um, it was it was a really great moment to live in. And I tried my best to really enjoy every piece of that. And now it, we're just, we're back to business. So, um, you know, people ask me like, do you feel different? And I feel like I've had so many other monumental moments in my life, even as a kid where 
I mean, just being a first generation graduate where I get my, my diploma and, you know, those type of moments like change you forever. And this is, I, I feel like there's more to do. So, um, I don't feel any different, but I am very excited to represent female boxing and just raise the bar for boxing altogether. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now that was your first fight at welterweight and you had it against like the best women's welterweight of all time. I mean, were you <laughs> intimidated at all going into that fight? No, I mean, every single one of my professional fights, I've been the underdog, even if the other person has just had more fights and more experience than me. And we're, we're used to that. And we're used to kind of scrapping from the bottom. And, you know, we, we believe wholeheartedly in our game plan and our strategy and the efforts that we put in. And, you know, I, there's just, there's so much confidence that we come into into the game with that, you know, there's nothing that can intimidate us. I mean, Rick and I have both have like crazy backgrounds where it's just like nothing's going to intimidate us at all. Right. You know, speaking of that, yeah, I mean, you said something after the fight that, that kind of got to me. You, you were like, this is for the fourth grade homeless Jessica. This is for the little girl that didn't care what people thought about her and learned to love herself, even though she was really weird. <laughs> so, you know, first of all, thank you for winning one for the weirdos out there. We appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh hey i just w- i want to talk about uh, your background a little bit so you you grew up in belleville illinois talk about uh growing up there um oklahoma reminded me a lot of belleville like in the <laughs> 90s just like you know not a lot of people um a lot of like just suburban type homes and a lot of trees and you know it was it was just kind of quiet like st louis was the big city you know, compared to Belleville. And, um, you know, growing up, my, my mom had a, a bad divorce and we fell short on money and we had to live in the back of a church for a while. And it's one of those things that just really makes you kind of grow up fast. And, you know, I talked about those moments that change your life forever. And when we finally got into a home the first night, we all slept on like her bedroom floor and it didn't matter because we were finally in a home. And those are the moments that kind of change you forever and, and make you realize like the, the really big things in life. Like now I have a home and it's just kind of something that is irreplaceable, that feeling, that moment. So, um, yeah, we, we went through a few things and like I said, it just made me grow up um, a lot faster and, and really value different parts of um, learning experiences of life. And so those things I carry with me all the time and even into boxing. And then I use my boxing platform to reach back out to those kids and those people that have been through the same thing that I've been through just to give them kind of like some confidence or a leg up in some kind of way to let them know that they can make it through and they can do anything they want. So Speaking of boxing, were, were you a big boxing fan at all growing up? I mean, were you were you into sports uh, growing up, or how, I was definitely point? into sports. And all of my older brothers played sports, and you know, I was a really big tomboy and very competitive with my older brothers. So I did everything from basketball, softball, cheerleading, palms, just anything to stay active. But I, I had never tried combat sports, and I never did a sport where it's a single single person in the sport like boxing is and I remember boxing when I was younger like I remember the big fancy fights where people would get super dressed up on tv and probably Tyson fights you know um but I I wasn't like specifically a huge boxing fan per se gotcha gotcha 
So you you're also one of the uh, one of the few uh, world boxing world champions who has a college degree. So you went to uh, uh, Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. Is that correct? Yes. And what'd you get your degree in? I got my major in communications and my minor in theater and dance. And how I end up in finance, I can't even tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, as, as someone who was a psych major uh, who ended up uh, becoming a lawyer, I, I get it. It's that, that liberal arts degree. You're like, okay, now what do I do? You know, <laughs> yeah. That's like that, that business edge that you have to have just to kind of get in where you fit in, no matter what your papers say. <laughs> so how did you like, you know, so so somehow you, some way you end up in boxing. Um, I've heard, you know, you, you'd started kickboxing first or what? what uh, yeah. How did how did you get your start in boxing? I started with trying out a kickboxing class, just kind of like a fitness thing. I was in my mid-20s. I was a gym rat and just wanted to try something different rather than, you know, running on a track, you know, every day, that kind of a thing. So I started with kickboxing and it was great. I just didn't feel the need to stretch my legs every day and try to kick above my head. <laughs> and there just happened to be uh, another coach in the, in the gym that had fighters and he was a boxing trainer. So I moved over to that side and it was perfect. It just fit so well. And, you know, when you start with boxing, there's so many different, you know, kind of boxes to tick where you start training you start sparring, you have your first exhibition fight and then your first real amateur fight. And I wanted to tick all those boxes and I just wanted to continue to level up. And I moved to Chicago in 2012 and it took about nine months to find, you know, a gym. And Rick was the only one that responded to me, only one that like emailed me back. And I've been here at Body Shop Boxing Club ever since. Interesting. Now, now I would definitely want to get to Rick and, and we will get to Rick, but, uh, I don't want to leave uh, where you started boxing because you and I have a have a, a big connection here. So in, in, in St. Louis, you started boxing at Pagedale Boxing, correct? I started boxing at a different gym, okay. but Pagedale was the last gym that I was at before transferring to Chicago. Yes. Gotcha. So so Marvin Coots Millet. Um, yeah. That was my coach. Trained uh, the very first fighter who I managed, world-class fighter who I managed, Tehran Millet. And uh, <laughs> I'm very close to the Millets. And uh, <laughs> our connection... And now his son, Jeremiah, it, is fighting. What's that? His son, Tehran's son, Jeremiah, is That's fighting. right, Jeremiah. That's right. He's got a pro fight. Uh, and I know Tehran keeps bugging me to manage him, but I'm just like, man, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not managing fighters anymore. But... Uh, <laughs> But oh man, you know it's so funny because uh, on Facebook about ten years ago, I, you know, I put up a, a couple of old photos of of Tehran and Coots and I, and and kind of back, you know, behind the scenes uh, in boxing. And Coots requested that that he tag a few people in it, and and one of them was Eddie Cook, who's a former bantamweight champ who came out of Pagedale. And then he tagged someone named J D McCaskill, and I was like, who the heck is J D McCaskill? So then yeah. I, I like I, I I click on the link and I see the pictures and the first thing that came up was kind of some like modeling pictures or something <laughs> and I was just like Coots is there something you're not telling me here who's who's J D McCaskill and then, and then I saw a few boxing pics and I'm like all right this makes sense this makes sense yeah. so so yeah man uh, Coots may he rest in peace love loved him love him to death and and Faye his wife and and Tehran mm -hmm. so you keep in touch with those guys at all or. Yeah, mostly just on Facebook. Faye is always like messaging me or posting something and um, 
but you know, I don't really get back to St. Louis a lot. You know, I have a lot of work here in Chicago. So, um, you know, as much as I can. <laughs> yeah. Great, great people. Tehran, Tehran's like a brother to me. I mean, uh, we're, you know, we're connected for life, but love those guys. So, so yeah, so you amassed, you know, you, you, you got a bunch of amateur fights, but you, you eventually, you moved to Chicago you, to, from, from Belleville, St. Louis area to, to look for a job, right? Yep. I had gotten the job, um, did everything pretty much just over the phone and was moving to walk in and go to work the next day, basically. <laughs> so, th- so this is how, uh, so, so I guess tell the story about how you, how you ended up at Rick's gym. Well, so I got to Chicago in December of 2012 and I'm just thinking to myself, like, I got to get back in a gym and I got to start fighting again because I had amateur fights and I didn't want to kind of lose the rhythm. And just, you know, for a while I was uh, doing my own workouts. I had a bag, a heavy bag. Uh, I would just run. I had, you know, a couple gyms, a gym at work that I would use, things like that. And this is when I first got into like Instagram because I wasn't on the gram and it just came out. And, you know, I I was sending emails and I was calling people and I wasn't getting responses. Anybody that I saw, like on my runs in the neighborhood, they would tell me like this is an MMA gym or we don't really hit people in this gym. Or, of course, I got I got to punch somebody. So, you know, that wasn't. <laughs> um, and then I, I started looking on Instagram and started looking up hashtags like Chicago fighter, Chicago female fight. And I saw that Rick was throwing an all female show in November. So at this time, it's like September. September, maybe August of 2013. <clears throat> and I just thought to myself, I have to get on that show. I've never seen an all-female show done anywhere. And that's the perfect opportunity for me to get on. So I contact the gym and, you know, I'm like, I didn't want to be like really arrogant or anything. Like, hey, I'm a fighter and I fight. And, you know, I just wanted to, to tell him that I'm available if he's looking for more people on the card and I, I need a, a gym to work out at. And, you know, I didn't even know if I was going to get a response back, but he responded fairly quickly and he just said, yeah, just come in. And, you know, kind of the, the theory behind that is, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, talk a really good game over the internet and to know if they're serious, they they have to show up. So, he told me to come in and I came in the very next day. I did the class and um, we talked a little bit about, you know, my fights and what I'm looking for and me being on the card. And then he said, OK, come in the next day. And so I came right back the next day and he had me sparring and I ended up dropping one of his girls, like uh, one of his Golden Girls Club winners with a body shot. And I just thought to myself, like, like it was an interview, like I did it, like I'm in, I'm safe. <laughs> and so um, that's how we started. Interesting, interesting. So, so let's go to Rick now. So, Rick Ramos. How are you, sir? How are you? Good, man. Good. Great to, great to, great to finally uh, talk to you. Um, just wanted to get your background as well. So, so where are you from originally? Chicago, like uh, born and raised in the city. Okay. My whole life, excellent. yeah, excellent. So how did you how did you first get into boxing? Um, they opened up a gym in my neighborhood. Uh, I was, you know, my family was the only uh, Mexican family in an all Italian neighborhood. So, you know, uh, out of fear of maybe getting into fights or whatever, I joined the Italian Amer- the Italian American Club boxing gym, and <laughs> you know, I learned a lot from those guys, and those guys, uh, you know, took care of me for a while. You know. 
That's excellent. That's excellent. So did did you actually uh, did you did you have some amateur fights or? Yeah, yeah. I had I fought you know probably I don't know maybe forty ish times. So it was good. You know, uh, I've always been in the gym. So since I was like twelve, so it was always like in and out, and it was always like. You know, I fight a couple times one year, take two years off, fight a couple times, take a year off, fight. You know what I mean? It was never, I was never thought about turning pro, I guess, you know? Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when did, when did you, uh, when did you start uh, Body Shot Boxing Club? Um, that was about eight years ago, but I had a gym before. I don't know if you know the Chicago market, but like uh, Sam Colonna, I opened up a gym with Sam Colonna 14 years ago. Okay. And we were partners for about seven years, and uh, we just parted ways. Uh, and you know, I had a different vision, and uh, I went on my own about eight years ago. And you know, ever since then, I feel like you know things have skyrocketed. That's interesting that when you say the Chicago boxing scene, because I, you know, I've always wondered, like, you know, you, you know, L.A. and New York seem to churn out, you know, like. Uh, you know, top level fighters and, and champs and, and St. Louis, even in the Midwest, turns out, you know, a ton of champs, good fighters. I mean, I, I, I managed to Ron Millette, co-managed Corey Spinks, um, yeah. good, good friends with Kevin Cunningham. Um, you know, Chicago, you know, for, for, for a huge city, I'm just it, it's surprising that it doesn't turn out. So, so, you know, as many champs as those other cities. How, why do you think that is? Um, you know, being in the market for the last 14 years, I, I think the the vision might uh maybe wasn't up like updated i feel like it's old software so i feel like uh you know the way i look at things and and the way that like the younger generation of coaches look at things is is a bit different you know we implement strength and conditioning coaches you know uh shorter workouts but maybe multiple workouts back in the day i think those guys were in the gym four or five hours a day it was you know training for marathons when they're you know when they're sprinters, you know what I'm saying? So it was just, I just shortened up the workouts, but, you know, added two or three workouts a day for about 45 minutes to an hour a day, as opposed to like one workout for three or four hours a day. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it was just a mindset. You need to change. I mean, just, just in your time of boxing, I mean, you know, is, is it harder to recruit young people to the gym to have that dedication to compete in the sport? I don't, I don't think it's harder to recruit recruit i think it's more of like this generation you know you know my youth classes these little kids don't even know how to they don't even know what a jump rope is you know these guys are on ipads right clowning around. i give them a jump rope and they're like what do you want me to do with this <laughs> yeah so it's just a different uh they're just in a different world it's just different times and you know you get you know back in the day you get 20 kids maybe five six of them were good now you get maybe out of a hundred kids, one or two are good. So it's just uh, you just got to change the format and style a little bit. Right, right. I mean, just uh, in, in general, as as a gym owner, you know, I mean, you're competing against the equinoxes and all the fitness clubs yeah. out there. And you know, I noticed in New York, you know, you have all these kind of box, you know, like box aerobic clubs you know popping up like you got you got rumble boxing here and you know title boxing where where there's like fit fitness trainers with like a modicum of boxing training and they have you hitting a bag and doing calisthenics you know you get the feel of boxing but it's not like real boxing how how do you compete with that you know i mean honestly like i i feel like first of all i feel like my social media is super strong you know and i feel like i'm you know on top of it more um and you know i keep 
my membership and my my rent at the gym super low so that you know i get there i feel like i get the right people in my gym and not just like a bunch of people like i don't want to be a gym owner mm. that's not my goal my goal is to have world champions and and you know move forward in the business but you know i think i found the the location that is uh very good space uh not expensive and and i can pick and choose who i want to be in my gym so um i think having those options is is a uh, is a great advantage over everybody else like title boxing they got to take everyone you know because their overhead is so hot i don't have to take anyone you know I, I don't even have to be open to the public and i think that mindset of picking choosing and keeping all your expenses low is better than just having a bunch of random people hanging around right right for sure for sure I mean, do you, do you still have like kind of, you know, the, the, the white collar boxing crowd and the, 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 the personal training, you know, uh, people yeah, come in? We do. And I only, I only sell like 50 memberships. Yeah, um, and we try to like, we try to get you to quit, you know, and I think the, <laughs> the t- yeah, for real. And the tough people and the people who really want to be here stay and the other people go to the other gyms. So, uh, we definitely, like I always tell everyone when we teach class, you know, we're going to try to make you quit. We're going to try if you leave my gym, you should be able to teach at any other gym, hands down, and be the best teacher. That's how we teach, like very aggressive. Wow. Yeah. How, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that's great. That's great. I wish I was in Chicago right now so I could go to your gym. <laughs> so how many, how many actual fighters you have you have at the gym right now, like probably amateur about, and pro? Probably about eight or so. My okay. stable is low, but I feel like, you know, like last year we went to Olympic trials uh, you know, we had Golden Glove winners. We have uh, people who fought in nationals. Obviously, Jessica uh, defended the belts. And, you know, I had my 18-year-old uh, female fighter turn pro. So, you know, like I said, it all goes – I just keep my stable low, uh, and, and everybody's very successful. So uh, if you want to be here, you know, you'll, you'll succeed. If you don't, like I said, the, there's other gyms for people who don't want to succeed. Right, right. So, yeah, all, all of my gyms, I mean, all my fighters, which is about eight, all of them were successful. All of them are successful. So uh, it's pretty awesome, you know. That is awesome. That is awesome. So how has uh, how has COVID affected uh, the business, man? It, um, it actually, this is, uh, this is the best year I've ever had as a gym owner. And I think, you know, I think everyone bailed, which I was shocked. Everyone, like every gym in Chicago closed down immediately. And I'm like, we're not closing. We're going to do personals only. Uh, we did personals the whole time. And we were doing, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 personals a day, you know, $65 a, an hour. So, I mean, obviously you could do the math. So, you know, we were doing very well. We were doing better. We're doing better now than we were when we had 100 members. So now, yeah, so now my gym is less classes, more personals, and uh, we just focus on, uh, you know, just keeping busy, keeping everyone doing personals and uh, paying the bills. So this is the best year I've ever had in boxing, not only as a coach, but as a, as a gym owner financially. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it's crazy. So, uh, so I know that, uh, that Eddie Hearn uh, definitely cited you as, as a guy who kind of went the extra mile in, in, in helping promote fights. Um, yeah. So when, when Jessica is – well, obviously you, you, you also – I mean, Jessica was saying you promoted shows as well. So you, you promote yeah. shows locally? Um, interesting. Um, you know, I haven't really in a while. You know, like back in the day when I was like a young guy, like – I would be a DJ. I was like a promoter, like kind of, 
Yeah. So like, believe it or not. So there's a lot of people who still follow me from those days. So I wanted at, at the time, eight years ago or so, seven years ago, you know, I think, uh, I, for whatever reason I had more female fighters than guys. And I'm like, how am I going to get all five of my female fighters on one show? You know what I mean? Cause I didn't want to like travel five different times in one week for an amateur show. So I said, let me try to throw an all female show. Let me just see, you know, and then Jessica came on board and I was like, now I got more women. So I'm like, I'm just going to throw an all-female show, which has never been done in Chicago. And a lot of people kind of like laughed at it at first, but it sold out in like an hour. Wow. So, yeah, it was crazy. And then I had like male ring card dudes. It was it was crazy. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, awesome. it was crazy. Yeah, I had like a couple model dudes who were like ripped, like holding ring cards. It was crazy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it sold out. You know, we did very well financially on that. And, you know, that attracted Jessica and then like the rest is history from that point on. But uh, I do local shows like I'll do shows at my gym, you know, for the beginners and kind of do exhibition bouts so they can get some experience. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I try to keep my kids busy. It's interesting. So I guess uh, kind of a question, you know, both both of you can kind of hack at it. Like when Mm -hmm. at this point, you know, when 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 Jessica's fighting like on an Eddie Hearn show, like take me through like not just the, the obviously you have the obligations for training because it's probably a world title fight, but like yeah. just the other just running around and hustling that, that you're doing in Chicago, like in, in the lead up to that fight. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people are like, don't you want that fight in Chicago? Don't you want this? Don't you want that? It's like super, super like real work, you know, because, you know, Jessica's got to do like 20 guest appearances. We have to train. You know, I'm crabby because I want to make sure she's getting the right training and I don't want, you know, to to do these appearances. Sometimes they're small appearances, which, in my opinion, are um, sort of a waste of time for to me. But I understand what we got to do. And, and when, you know, when Eddie Hearn and his staff comes to Chicago, like they don't know where to get uh, stuff embroidered, to st- get stuff printed. So my fighters who aren't fighting, like usually my amateur fighters, they will help out matchroom and you know i have guys running around uh to get stuff done to get stuff printed to get stuff made to you know to feed people to run around pick up jessica or or to watch the gym i mean it, it is like chaos it's crazy yeah like when we had the october 2019 fight um here at the winchest we had like 10 runners ready to go like for maybe three four days straight you know whether it was hey grab a bunch of waters and bring them to the hotel or if it was hey we need these patches made for the ring car girls you know we want to make sure that the show is flawless just because that's going to be a good representation on chicago and you know just being a part of that ourselves our team that's going to look good as well so you know we do as much as we can to to help out but you know and for me personally as one of the fighters you wake up and you're just waiting for everyone to say, be here at this time, be here at this time. We got to go here. And it was just nonstop. We, we grabbed food when we can. You know, they set up in the gym. They had a, a media press day that, you know, we had to take pictures to interviews, a little shadow boxing, like, you know, every, everything. You're just basically prepared to talk and work out in front of people and cameras, like for about five days straight. So mm. um, 
it's a, and then you have people coming in town or, you know, you have people just trying to pick up tickets and, you know, your phone's going crazy. Like, Hey, where can I get so-and-so such and such? And people don't always, you know, go to like the website. They, they kind of want you to, you know, help them out or hold their hand. And so we had people running, you know, dropping off tickets. I mean, it's, is as hard or as crazy as you might think it is like times that by 10. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, as, as someone who's managed world champs, I I completely yeah. get the the hustle. But uh, speaking of, I mean, you guys have both kind of made made uh, uh, allusions to this. But um, talk about you know speaking of hustling, like you know social media, you have to be like all over it, and and you guys are like, I mean, you know, with with uh, you know, I mean, people if people want to, you know. Know, know about Jessica's story or and so on. I mean, you go to YouTube and I mean, there's like you know at least five or six documentaries, you know, series going on uh, yes, with it. And so yeah, talk talk about just keeping up with with social media and just keeping content out there. Um, you know, like like I said back in the day, like I felt like I was a good promoter of you know like what I was doing, like parties and stuff like that, and I knew that like. You know, there's there's people that are obviously smarter or better than me, but I knew that like if my name is out there repeatedly, that you just can't forget. And you know, when Jessica first came, like nobody was into female boxing, and Chicago female boxing was kind of uh, um, not what it is. Definitely not what it is now. I would say it's it was more of like uh, it was more of like um, like amateurish slash you know, like popularity contest where now it's, it's for real. And I think, um, you know, keeping Jessica's name in the mix and always like promoting her and always, you know, being out there is, is very, very, very important. I mean, if, if, if I owe you money, I'm definitely not hard to find. You can find me for sure. So <laughs> bad, I don't owe you money, but, uh, but I will say like, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone in Chicago promotes as much as I do. And even Eddie Hearn, you know, obviously you saw that, Eddie Hearn has complimented me like, yo, Jess and Rick are like on top of it. Like they're up at fucking five in the morning and pushing. And, you know, this is, you know how it is. I'm trying to build a business off a business, off a business, off a business. So it's like, you know, Jessica's fighting. Obviously that's the business. And my gym, I got to push my name, my gym name, got to push my own name and, and push my fighters behind Jess. So it's like, you know, it's like six businesses trying to get pushed, you know, and, and I want Eddie to, to, or any promoter really just to understand that, if you sign any one of my fighters, um, I will work harder than you. So I made that clear. And I think that anyone who deals with me is like, oh, yeah, he's on top of it. Like, we're not even going to sweat it. So, um, you know, when we were in Tulsa, you know, it's kind of a break for us, you know. Uh, and we did every single interview we, we could, you know. And I think that's important. And, and we'll probably stay like that, and you know, at this level. Or, or if we go to another level, I think we'll doing every single interview is, is very, very important. Yeah, oh, that's great. It's great. You know, and I can attest to that. You know, you definitely uh, you not only got back to me, but you told me who else at, at, at my publication was was contacting you for interviews. So you're definitely yeah. on top of it. And, and that's the other thing, too. Sometimes like I got five people or four people messaging me from Ring Magazine. I don't know who's who. Like <laughs> this guy's in charge of the website. This guy's in charge of articles. This guy's the boss. This and it's like two or three people from like every publication. It's and I don't know. Sometimes you get a, you know, some there's people who who I caught lying to me, right? So they're like, <laughs> oh, we write for the zone, 
And I'm like, you write for the zone. Like the zone contacts me directly, you know? So it's <laughs> right. like, it's just like, it, I just want to get rid of the people that, you know, don't deserve, you know, to do the interview with Jess. Um, you know, so I, I kind of have to ask questions because, you know, you know, it's the internet. So I don't know where these, these, uh, interviews are always going, you know, but we do them all and we try to respect everybody involved. And I just want to know who I'm talking to and it, out of respect for the game and, and make sure just I protect Jessica. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously you guys are, are, are 24 seven into this. So yeah, I mean, you don't want to waste your time for sure, for sure. Yeah. Or your energy. Cause it's, it's precious. Um, so listen, let's, let's go back in time a little bit. Now you, you turn, I mean, uh, you turn Jessica pro, uh, 2015 um how how hard was it uh, initially to to find fights for her in 2015 uh, it, it wasn't i mean obviously it's hard right but it wasn't even that was the hardest part i think the hardest part was finding opportunities because you know like i said female boxing in chicago 10 years ago was kind of like a favor you know what i mean and i feel like maybe the people, with all due respect to, to those women who fought in the past, like I don't think they fought at the caliber um, that we're doing it now. So it's like, um, you know, I, I think promoters were like, I got to put this person on again. I got to put this person on. You know, they were, you know, the, the opponents were, were um, definitely not crowd worthy sometimes. So I think, you know, I had to like, Hey, I need a favor. Hey, we'll guarantee 150 tickets. So it, getting opponents wasn't the number one issue. I would say getting the opportunity was. And then Jess and I, Jess would basically use her purse to buy all the tickets. And then I would have to put up another thousand to buy more tickets just so we gave the illusion of being ticket sellers in the beginning. You got to remember, like, she had no fans here. She was from St. Louis. So it was like, I have to create an image where which that you know going back on what you talked about earlier is like i had to keep on social media create an image uh wanted people to to get to meet her because i knew if people met her they fall in love with her story um and the struggle of like trying to create a business from out of thin air so it was more of the opportunity and and you know um shout out to bobby hits and dominic Pasoli for for giving us those opportunities in the very beginning and from there on you know we took it from there on, you know, we, we just kept busy in social media and I tried to get her as many fights as I could. My man, Bobby hits. Yeah, I know Bobby, <laughs> Bobby, former George Foreman opponent, Bobby hits. So, uh, yeah, so in back in the day. So yeah, man, listen, in, in, you know, I, I obviously, uh, once, uh, once Marvin Millette Coots kind of, you know, uh, introduced me inadvertently to, to Jessica. I was kind of following her career, and, and I remember seeing a video of her second fight like with, against Katanya Fisher, who's like, whatever happened yeah. to Katanya Fisher? She was a hell of a fighter. Because, uh, you know, she dropped Jessica, and she beat her in a split decision in, in Jessica's second fight. So just as yeah. a manager, as a manager, you know, I, I, I'm like, I would, you know, when my fighters get beat, it, I'm just like, I, I put that on myself. So, I mean, how tough was that? Like, you know, I mean, obviously Jessica did well in the amateurs. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, you know what a tiger you have. And then, you know, just you know, when, she gets, when she gets beat, what, 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 was, uh, what think, was You know, you know, it's such a, uh, you know, kind of deeper story than just losing Tanya Fisher. I think, you know, Jessica was making a transition from St. Louis to Chicago and she was still kind of going through that uh, transition and also, you know, 
I hate to talk about it, but like the referee was kind of new to the game. He was like an amateur referee that came up to the pros. And I felt like the, I think we all felt like the knockdown wasn't really a knockdown. It was kind of like a push down. It was, yeah, like a cuff down. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, (laughs) you know, and if you watch that fight again, you see that, you know, Jessica got, got up and fought. You know, she won the two and a half rounds remaining, and, and you know we got the. I think it was a majority decision. We we lost the majority decision, and I was just like, that it. I did. If Jessica really lost that fight, in my opinion, I probably might not have pushed so hard forward. But you know, I knew Katanya Fisher's background. I knew she was a multinational champion or whatever, and you know, I knew she could hang with her. So I knew we didn't. In my heart, I felt that we didn't lo- really lose that fight. So I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna keep pushing. I'm not gonna give up. And, and uh, you know, take it from there. But, um, you know, I had to, like, reinvent her again, you know, and it was like, oh, man. So now I have to convince other uh, promoters that it wasn't uh, a loss and, you know, give me one more shot. And, you know, I was kind of running out of favors. And, you know, and then from there on on, she just started beating everybody. And, you know, I kind of figured for us to take it to another level, we needed a belt. So I got, like, a small uh, organization belt and, Sure enough, you know, we called out Katie Taylor um, and I think 24 hours later, I got a phone call and uh, that was it, you know, and then, from, you know, and, and a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, obviously we 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 made the Katie Taylor fight, Jess and I, and then um, Jess and I also made the Cecilia fight. Those weren't ideas from like Eddie. So it wasn't, I'm the kind of guy that like brings ideas to the table, like real ideas. You know how like some people are like, hey, let's fly to Mars and you're like, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like realistic ideas with like realistic uh, options. So I think Eddie was kind of impressed by like the options behind the options behind the options. And he was like, ah, that's a good idea. Let's let's explore that. So then, uh, yeah, we got the Katie fight. And I think obviously her I think no one gave us a shot. And I think Jessica's performance speaks for itself. I think, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, shit, like Katie's a human being and Jessica's you know, Jessica could fight, you know, and we took it to Katie. We basically gave the blueprint on how to beat Katie. And, you know, uh, you know, that was it. And we used that same blueprint on Cecilia. So, um, you know, a lot of those girls are, are used to looking and, and feeling comfortable. Um, and we just got to make them uncomfortable as, as can be. And, you know, that's, that's where Jess and I come in and that's what we're good at is making people feel uncomfortable. And, um, yeah, that's, here we are, you know, well, I think we got eight belts later, nine belts later. So it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's amazing. That's amazing. So, uh, so yeah, I want to talk to Jessica about yeah. about the experience of of fighting. You know, it was what your like uh, sixth or seventh fight. Uh, you know, you're you're in historic York Hall in London. Uh, you're taking on uh, Katie Taylor, who's you know a undefeated <laughs> Olympian champion with a massive. You know, a fan following there. Just just talk about that whole experience, uh, your first shot at the title. I think uh, the experience as a whole was really good, good for the team, good to travel and um, kind of just like a bonding experience. Um, being able to fight abroad was uh, a good learning experience as well. They were very welcoming. They had a gym for us to work out in. Um, you know, there were a few things where our, our team got tested. You know, we had you know, our coaches here, we had our lawyer here, our promoters, you know, they were all with us at the, at, at the fight. And there were a couple moments where, you know, we were kind of given, you know, the, the bad end of the stick. You know, our our room before, um, our locker room before the fight was 
unacceptable and you know we were we were ready to just walk out i mean um that's kind of the the trust factor and the loyalty that we have amongst each other is just like you know we're not we're not going to take you know um just just the raw end and and just deal with it and you know our lawyers fought for us and said we need you know better accommodations and um so, I mean, there were some things that were kind of like murky, but other than that, I mean, we were not people to complain and we're not people to like throw hissy fits or anything like that. And, you know, it was a really good experience and the fight itself, you know, I had, I, um, I was really happy to have a lot of fans there. Um, the, the company I worked for at the time had a, a London based office. And so I had a lot of people that were buying tickets from that office and they email me at work and say, Hey, we're going to the fight. And, just very excited. So I think we, we had a, a very split crowd there as far as, you know, fanship. So it was nice to have that. And, um, you know, it was a smaller venue, um, very historic, kind of old school. And, you know, it was just, you kind of block out um, the cameras, you block out, you know, any kind of hype. And you just fight, you know, it's just about the fight. I mean, I don't wear glasses, so I kind of do tunnel vision anyway, you know, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought it was good. That That's cool. So, um, now that's interesting. You talk about, you know, the, the, the people at work. So, you know, a lot of, <laughs> lot, a lot of fighters, um, have this, you know, and maybe not a lot of people out there know that, you know, a ton of fighters work full-time jobs and, and, you know, like boxing is like extra for them. So, so talk about that kind of the the balance between uh you know having to be on point nine to five or or bankers hours I guess because you you're working at a bank um and then then having to have you know bring that you know as much energy as you can to the gym as well. Um, I work at an investment bank, so I work with um, a lot of our um, Asian clients, and so their their timing is different. So I'm at work from six a.m. to 3 p.m. So I, I get in pretty early and then we get a workout in before that. So we're at our strength and conditioning three times a week at 445 in the morning. Mm. So I'm up about 330 in the morning, making sure my dogs are good, making sure I have everything for the day. And um, so it, for me, it, it's good. It's very helpful because I just have a packed schedule. Everything is back to back to back. So I don't even have time to think about it. Like once I hit that go button in the morning, I'm just I'm going. And, um, you know, the more time you give yourself in between things, the more you kind of get lackadaisical. And I just like very strong structure. And it's helpful to me to to be uh, to accomplish everything that I need to do. But, you know, I try to make sure that um even with a full plate that I'm paying attention to detail because, you know, the girls and the other fighters here, they're looking at me as the example. And, you know, it could be very simply, you know, something can go awry. And so it's just there's the pressure of making sure that everything is flowing properly, that you're being a good example, that you're getting everything accomplished, that you're training on time, that you're you're doing things that work on time. Because I'm not just an example in the ring, like I'm an example outside of the ring, too. And just things that I have. That's the type of thing I have to keep in my head. So that's crazy. So you you're getting up at three thirty in the morning every day. How do you how do you adjust your body clock to fight at like close to midnight when you're fighting in a main event? <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, that was a thought. Um, so we we got to uh, Oklahoma Sunday Monday Sunday. Sunday. And yeah, I go to bed at nine thirty. Like 
man, I, I'm like an old lady. I don't know, but I, I got to get at least five, five and a half hours of sleep and, and then I'm good. So, you know, I didn't have as much to do fight week. I love fight week. You get, you get more sleep. I don't have to work. I take off the week of work and, um, and, and then we're in a bubble. So you're really confined to a limited amount of things. So, I started to kind of just stay up a little bit later. I'm like watching MTV and, you know, <laughs> um, so I, I think I, I was able to make it to like 10, 10 30 the first night. And then I just kind of started to stay up a little bit later and you adjust your, your body. The, the one thing you probably can't adjust your body to, especially that fast is how early you wake up. Like your body's like, Hey, it's four. We're late. Let's go. So, um, I got some naps in to kind of accommodate for that. But, uh, yeah, I just started staying up later and later because I knew that I didn't want that to be a factor. Interesting. Interesting. So, so now post Katie, now that, that, that was, now that fight was pre disowned Eddie Hearn, but 10 months later, um, you know, you end up fighting on, uh, the first disowned show in the U S which happened to be in Chicago. I mean, was that, was that just kind of, uh, was that like a, a lucky stroke or were you guys in, in touch with Hearn, uh, you know, beforehand? Uh, and, and, and he, he, you guys convinced him to come to Chicago. How, how did that work out? There were a lot of things in between Katie and his own. So there was this story and I'll, I'll touch on it. And if you want to go deeper, we can, but after the Katie fight, I went on a little vacation to Vegas and uh, that's where I went to the Holly Holm Cyborg UFC fight. And that's where I met Cecilia in person for the first time. Mm. And um, from there, we took a picture. And, you know, the story, I don't I didn't want to put my hand up for the picture because I thought if, if our hands were measured, you know, in that picture, it might look bad. And um, they wouldn't want to fight us. And I just had this thing in my head, like, I might fight her one day. And, um, you know, from there they actually asked us to come out to a training camp with them and, and help them with sparring. We declined because again, we thought we might fight her. And then we were supposed to be her last, um, HBO fight. Oh, wow. And we were in negotiation there. And then, you know, Rick was talking with Eddie and, and Eddie asked us to just let that expire. And then we would work with him and, and do some things. So there was a lot in between, you know, the two, those two fights, this 2017 and then the 2018, um, being on the zone, um, that was that was great. Everything that we do, we try to we try to create history in some kind of way. So being on the first zone fight, the first female to do that, that was awesome. Um, the caliber of production that they put on, and, and being at the Winter Serena, which was just built, um, that was awesome. It just kind of gives you a certain level, a feel for where where you should be at. Um, so I was very happy to be a part of that. That's right. Um, as, far as, as far as like getting into that, I can let I let Rick tell that of how how he got into it. Um, no, I think the short story is just you know I think Eddie and I you know after the Katie fight, um, like literally right after I think it was like a day or two, he had tweeted something like um, <clears throat> that he had overpaid Jessica, and you know I went nuts on Twitter like you know we made that fight we were the only ones to to fight you. You know, like they said, they called 20 girls and they all turned it down and we jumped on the fight. So like Eddie and I, then Eddie called me and then we got into it kind of. And then uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't talk to him for like eight months or something like that. Like eight months, I didn't even hear from him. I'm like, oh, fuck, I think I burned that relationship. But I felt like he was disrespecting Jess and, you know, I, I just felt like he was disrespecting Jessica. 
And I felt like, you know, I don't know. I felt like we brought that fight and that fight was made because of us. You know, I don't know if a lot of people know, but like Showtime got in with, you know, they got involved with like 12 hours left. They live streamed it um, on their YouTube channel. Like there was a lot of things that happened like last minute because the hype was so like the hype was uh, building and a lot of people were getting excited. And I think Chicago wanted to see Jessica. I don't know if they wanted to see us win or not, but, you know, I don't think anyone thought we were going to do that good. And I think like everybody just became a fan of Jessica. So, you know, Eddie, um, so when, so long story short is when um, there was rumors or even just like brief um, comments about coming to Chicago started taking place. Like everybody started hitting me up and, you know, people were um, commenting on Eddie's post, like, Hey, are you guys going to call Jessica McCaskill or blah, blah, blah. And, I, I don't know if, if it was Eddie's plan or not to call, but I think a lot of, you know, everyone started calling me to do interviews and, you know, Jess and I were doing interviews and we were like, man, I just said, you know, I haven't talked to Eddie in a minute, but, um, I expect a phone call, you know? And, and, you know, that was just me being like aggressive about it. I said, you know, this is our city, you know, I, I and I, no one got a call, meaning no one from Chicago did. So I felt like we were like the hottest uh, team out there so I I did expect a phone call and then I think it was like the next day Eddie uh, hit me up on Instagram and was just like hey um, are you around bring Jessica to the to the press conference Jessica and I went to the press conference and you know there was you know 500 people in a room and the room was packed and you know Jess and I were off in the corner and Eddie just walked in a room and came right right up to us and he was like hey Rick hey Jess you know shook our hand uh, and he's like, Hey, you want to get on the show? And I said, yeah, hell yeah. You know, I want to get on the show. And he's like, you know, uh, I think he offered us Victoria Bustos or somebody. And I said, yeah, we'll fight anyone. And cause I just felt like Jessica, I was so convinced that she belonged at, at the elite level. Um, so we jumped on a Bustos fight, which turned into the Erica Frias fight, Farias fight. And, uh, that led to WBC title with like a week notice. He's like, Hey, do you want to just fight for the WBC 140 pounds? With like maybe a week and a half left, and we we're like, "Yeah, let's do it." Oh my God, you serious? Like, wow! Yeah, everybody was like, "I don't even know her record at the time." I think it was like twenty six and three or something. But I was like, "Fuck, that don't mean nothing." I said, "You know, Erica's from a different uh, generation. Like, she's from the ten years ago female fighter stuff." So I'm like, "We jumped on it," and I, that's how I felt about Cecilia Breakhouse. I think that they're from that generation that I was talking about, like that ten years old, ten years ago generation where. I think, you know, a lot of people don't notice, and, and, and I say it all the time, like, Cecilia Breakhouse has only fought two people, in my opinion, from this generation. And that was Kelly Reese, who dropped her um, and gave her all kind of problems, and Jessica, which she lost. I, I don't think she's this era type of fighter. I think her workouts are old. Her team is, is a bit older. And I think that, you know, they're, they're in the gym four hours a day. And, you know, like I said, they're training for marathons and this is a sprint. So um, that's how we beat her. We just out-hustle her. And that's how we're beating everyone. We're just out-hustling. And I think the, the, the people from the other older generations um, haven't adjusted their workouts. And that's why we're winning, in my opinion. Interesting. And also, I think, you know, when you talk about this generation of, of female fighters, they, they also generally come with a, with a fairly decent amateur background as opposed to right. coming from kickboxing or something else. Um, <laughs> you know, there's there's, you know, the, you know, you've got the Olympics now, um, which is a goal. 
and yeah. uh, and you know the the amateur background or the, the the amateur tournaments. You know, it just seems like there's a lot more um, building a foundation for for female fighters now. Yeah, I think I think the 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 females who fought in the amateurs in the last six to seven years are. I would say real, real fighters and the people who fought in the amateurs in like 2002 to 2008, those weren't, in my opinion, those weren't, I was around, don't forget. I was working corners. I had fighters and I was in that, I was in that circuit and I seen, you know, a lot of women who shouldn't have been in the ring. They were just, it wasn't even amateurs. It was like, whatever, it was like kindergarten, you know, I felt (laughs) like, I mean, yeah. And and not only that is like, girls who had a hundred fights, but they fought 10 girls, 10 times. Right. So to me, you only, so to me, you only have 10 fights, you know, <laughs> that's, that's how I've always saw it. And, and I feel like, uh, I don't think a lot of people see it the same way, but I do. And I, and I, I think that I was one of, you know, I don't know, three people on the planet who thought we could be Cecilia and, and everybody told me I was nuts. And I'm like, she's just not from this generation. We should smoke her. And I just felt like Jessica would out hustle her. So, and, she did and that's why we're here uh no doubt no doubt so go, going back to the farius fight like mm-hmm. you just took it and and i mean jessica was was a lightweight her whole career so and you 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 guys had no problem stepping up to to 140 to to take that fight no and, and again and this is the same thing that we've public we said publicly like jessica had i don't know eight amateur fights ish at 152 and you know what I mean? So, mm. and most of her fights were at 141. So, or 140, yeah, 141. So it was like, you know, and I think we fought in the Golden Gloves at like 146 or 145, whatever it was. So, Jessica, like, she was, she's been in the 40s forever, like mid 40s to upper 40s. So, uh, on average. So, you know, taking a fight at 145, like, uh, well, taking a fight at 140 was no problem. And actually, I think Jessica felt better, um, like stronger, more filled in. But to take, you know, the Cecilia uh, Breakhouse fight, like, I said, well, let's make that, I'll, we'll do that fight at 145. And I thought, no fucking way would they take that fight. They jumped on it, like, in a minute. They're like, we'll take 145. Wow. And I felt like I felt like Cecilia couldn't make 145, and I think she struggled, and I think she had weight issues on top of the isolation from, you know, the COVID pandemic. And I think she just... You know, it was just perfect timing. I think all, you know, all the stars lined up in the universe and, you know, we were there to take it, you know, and we took it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this one's for Jessica. Um, so, so you beat Farius. You, you win your, your first world title. You do it in your adopted hometown. What was that feeling like when uh, David Diamante said, and the new? <laughs> that was pretty incredible and you know this is where we had fans there and I felt like the whole place like erupted for me and you know Chicago is a very mouthy town they'll tell you how they feel and they were just so excited for me and I could just it was just like an overwhelming like feeling and then my mom had snuck in town and I didn't know she was there and you know we're we're walking out of the ring back to uh, the doctors and to the interviews and everything and she like pops out from like the front row sitting right next to rick's mom and i'm just like oh it was it was like ridiculous super ridiculous um so yeah it's just kind of and and (laughs) that was that was good and then the fight with cecilia i felt like they took like 20 minutes to say and knew i just was like (laughs) the longest pause of my entire life it was like four seconds it was the longest four seconds ever (laughs) 
So, I mean, I, I was going to ask you if you had any trepidations about moving up to welterweight to, to take on Cecilia, but obviously you, you felt very confident. You felt actually maybe even more comfortable at welterweight then. Yeah, I felt very confident. I felt like that gave me the ability to um, take my training to a different place. You know, we have a strength conditioning team. And so we were able to focus on the strength and focus on the muscle and just kind of develop uh, my body towards that direction. And um, yeah, everything was really comfortable. So how, how, I mean, how... I saw a, a little bit of it in the documentary, but I mean, you're preparing for this fight, you know, during a pandemic. So, so, so how, you know, how did the preparations go? Tell, tell people how, you know, how different or, or not different it was. Well, it was, it's, it's all very mental. I mean, at the very beginning when we're getting ready for this, it's supposed to be April 17th and then around March 15th, the world shuts down and I'm like, ah, this might be like a two week thing, whatever. We're good. The fight's still going to happen. And then officially the fight gets postponed. And so you're just left in this space of you have no idea what's going to happen next and when it's going to happen. And we just keep training. I mean, after a fight, I'm back in the gym and we just train until we get something on the calendar. And so it wasn't any, it wasn't going to be anything different, but you know, you just really have to overcome in your mind, um, just any any weakness or any um, skeptic skepticalness, you know, you just have to just do your work and stay focused and put those blinders on, and um, that's what we did, and we came out much better for it. I mean, we we just pretended as if everything was still a go because what if you get a phone call, you know, it's a Monday and you're like, okay, it's going to happen on a Saturday. I mean, I don't think it would be that drastic, but you just never know. You have to be ready. And in the, in the beginning of my uh, boxing career, we would get like maybe a three week notice on something. And if you're not ready, then what are you doing it for? Like there's people that say like, Oh, I, I can't fight because you know, I'm not in the gym. I don't know what that means. I'm always in the gym. <laughs> you always have to be ready for that phone call. Somebody could drop out of a fight and then you could be that person that levels up from that, but you gotta be, be ready for it. Well, speaking of, yeah, always being in the gym. I mean, you know, I, I know that I'm working from home remotely. So I've heard you, you now have a, a branch office at the gym now. <laughs> yeah, a branch office at the gym. I, I come here and set up my little table and my computer screens and the girls, they'll, they'll get like their second workout in at about 6 a.m. And um, I'm just there to help if we get deliveries, if we get phone calls, if you know we have personal training. Uh, I just want to, to be able to use this time, max it out, use it wisely, you know, uh, multi-purpose um, my time if I can. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so going back to the, the Cecilia fight, to me, it looked like, you know, from the very first round, you had, I, I could tell you had the hand speed edge on her. Um, and I saw you hitting her with stuff from the outside. Um, you know, did you sense that from early on? And, and it, did you think like, man, you know, I mean, usually I'm on the inside grinding, you know, maybe I can like, you know, go in and out on her in, in this fight because I've, I've got the edge and, and hand speed. Well, we figured she would have one or two plans. One, her normal move and jab, kind of stay on the bike, or two, she would come in and try to fight. And uh, right at about halfway through the first round, you know, I'm, I'm gauging, I'm I'm moving, and I'm trying to see what she's doing, and I realize she's coming in. And so that's when I decided, okay, we're going to take the fight to her. She's coming in, let's go back at her, and we did. Rick had me doing very specific things that you could see in that fight. He had me punching from the outside, long, nice long punches, um, in and out, 
hand speed, punch and move. Um, and then when we came on the inside, we knew she was going to hold. And you see that right uppercut come in from from me. And that's the, those are things that we practice. And those are things that we practice you know, during the pandemic and just he used that time to really think about strategy and, and planning. And we came out on top because of it. You know, it, it's so funny, like Cecilia is such a class act. Um, and just going back in boxing history, I remember one one thing that Sugar Ray Leonard used on, on Marvin Hagler was he was just he just niced him to death. He tried to take the edge off of Hagler when they mm-hmm. had the press tour just by, you know, being like, you know, completely just smothering him with compliments and all that. Like when when you're when you're fighting someone so gracious and who's so nice. I mean, is it is it hard? It, was it hard for you to kind of you know generate that that steam for, or, or is that just not you know it's just another fight? No, I mean even in like one of the interviews, I, I said like Cecilia wants to hear that I'm going to knock her out. Um, she wants to hear that I'm going to come forth with with everything that I have because you don't want to fight a weak fighter. You don't want to you want to fight somebody that's going to give you their 100% best. So you know it wasn't we didn't have any bad blood, um, but I knew she was coming to sustain her throne and and I was coming to knock her off of it. And there's nothing wrong in saying those things, you know. There's no need for for extra, but um, I my focus my focus is usually never on the other person. It's always focused on myself and doing what my team is saying and using the the skills that I've learned and um, just being a hundred percent on my side. And that really helps when you have you know changing opponents and you know everything changes on the other side. Nothing changes with you, and when you're consistent, that's the easiest thing to focus on. No doubt, no doubt. So I guess I don't know if this is a question for you or Rick or both, but you know, was is there a rematch clause with with Cecilia? Yeah, I mean, there there's a rematch clause, and you know, I think from, uh, I, I mean, yeah, to answer your question, yes, there is, but I, I don't know if she'll take it so fast. I know Eddie's trying to press it for November or December. Uh, I don't see her taking the rematch that soon. So I don't know if she's going to try to push it back a little bit or I don't know if she's going to, you know, um, want a fight in between, you know, change trainers again. You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that we should fight Katie um, from a business standpoint for Cecilia. I think, you know, uh, this is free advice for her. <laughs> but I think like I think she should let Jess fight Katie and, you know, she can fight uh, um you know, Jessica, right? If we win or lose, she could fight Jessica um, after the Katie Taylor fight, or she can fight um, the person she wants to before, you know, after that fight, you know, the winner or the loser. So I think that buys her more fights, you know, because she has the rematch clause. So, I mean, she can negotiate, hey, you know what? Let's just fight in six to eight months, but you can go ahead and take step. She could take step aside money and we can go fight Katie and revisit Cecilia later on. I think that. From a financial standpoint, I think that's good for all three of us, uh, meaning Jessica, Katie, and Cecilia. Uh, plus, you know, we have a crazy momentum right now. I don't, I don't think Cecilia has momentum right now, and I think that there's already doubt by the fans and the people um, about Cecilia's will. So I think like she's on the, you know, obviously on the decline. So I think the momentum is Katie and Jessica, and I think that Eddie will protect that momentum. I hope, and we'll see. I, I mean, but to answer your question, yes. But I don't know if she'll take the rematch in November or December. 
So have the have the sanctioning bodies uh, made <clears throat> Jessica give up her 140 pound belts uh, in, now that she's got all of Cecilia's uh, welterweight belts, or does she still have them for the time being? Make make us give it up? No. Um, they asked us where we want to be champion, so it's either you know 140, or 147. They kind of like pick one, and so we're not going to pick until Cecilia figures out what she wants to do. Because if Cecilia wants the rematch, then we might have to let those 140 belts go. Um, if she doesn't want the rematch and Katie doesn't come up to 147 to fight us, you know we have to figure out other uh, scenarios that will make uh, you know improve Jessica's career and 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 you know you know, put us in position to make more history. So I think it's, we can't really do anything until Cecilia makes up her mind. But uh, yeah, so that's where we are. So that should be in another 15 days or so. Cecilia's got to make a decision. So I, I think the next question might be for both of you guys. But yeah, I think the fight that everyone wants to see is is the rematch between you and Katie. I mean, Katie just got through like a hellacious uh, rematch with Pursoon. I mean, she had one of those like, Hasim Rockman type uh, hematomas on her forehead. That was a rough, rough fight. But the, but, but the crazy thing is, like, I mean, I, I don't know if Jessica could, could still make 35, but man, you could theoretically fight for the undisputed lightweight titles, all of them, because Katie has them, two of the junior welterweight belts, and all of the welterweight belts. You could literally fight for double figures in championship belts, I mean, and, and have a female like Henry Armstrong, you know, with three titles yeah. simultaneously coming out of it. I mean, have you guys given that any thought or is, is there any possibility? Um, or I think I think we're, you know, I, I feel like we're, well, I am, tired, I don't know about Jess, but I'm tired of giving Katie the, the upper hand, so to say. Mm. So I would like, I would like Jessica to fight Katie at 145 or higher. Um, you know, I think us fighting at 135, I mean, Jessica can make it, but I don't really see uh, that as smart business. I think we fight her and bring her up to a heavier weight class. You know, Katie doesn't punch hard to begin with, so I think at 145 she'll have zero power. Um, and, I, and again, she's been in wars, and her last, what, three or four fights were wars, so... I don't think she can go another fifth fight with the war at 145 against Jessica. I think Jessica stops her. Right, right, right. So, yeah, so I, I guess, you know, just looking at the landscape, this is for both of you guys. I mean, you know, if, if, if you know, you've got Katie Taylor out there, I mean, women's boxing is, is, is very exciting right now. I mean, who else, I mean, who else is out there? I mean, Clar- Clarissa Shields says, you know, I mean, she wants. She's dying for a big fight, you know. I mean, she. She if she could squeeze down to forty-seven, would, would that be something you guys would take on? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Clarissa Shields is her own enemy. I think the more she talks, the less appealing she is, and I don't think anybody wants to help her. I mean, don't forget if we have we're we're undisputed at one forty-seven, right? So, like, first of all, I don't even know if I would make that fight at one forty-seven. I would make. I would let Clarissa come down to 145 just to be a dick. But uh, <laughs> as far as that's concerned, like Clarissa, we'd be, you know, we're help. That would be a favor if we fight her next. She's got to do something somewhere and she's either got to come correct or she's got to figure out a way to, you know, to bring something to the table other than a name. In, and I don't think she is the greatest of all time. She's a great fighter, but it's too early. Female boxing is like, this is like re- it's like you know reborn right now, and and is she good? Yeah, but so is Jessica. You know what I'm saying? So, um, 
I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, for us to fight her at 147 is a favor to Clarissa. She's not, you know, signed with the same promoter. She's not, um, you know, I don't know how much money they her promoter brings to the table, but it's, you know, it's definitely not as much as Matchroom. So it's like, or, or I should say the zone. But um, it just depends. You know, we beat, if we beat Katie Taylor, I think, you know, we have an in-between fight or a crossover fight, you know, maybe Nunez or someone. Um, and then maybe Clarissa to, or, or a third fight with Katie. Those are big money fights. All three of those are big money fights. And, you know, you know, at this stage of Jessica's career, I want to make sure uh, she's financially good, you know, and she could do whatever she wants after those fights. And, you know, after she walks away from boxing, I want her to be able to relax and, you know, do nothing kind of, I don't know if she knows how, but. <laughs> I was going to say, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, I just want big names, big fights. So if you're, if whatever belts we got, if you're willing to come to us, that's fine. I mean, I'm not going to chase anybody unless we have nothing, but till then, you know, where we're at. So that's interesting. That's it. Cause yeah, go ahead, Jessica. Okay. No, I feel the same way. I mean, um, you know, we, there's no reason why we shouldn't be taking advantage of the fact that we're at 147 undisputed and right. People are going to have to come to us and, um, you know, we'll, we'll call the shots here. So, um, you know, as far as people, of course, Katie, big names, big fights, big history. Um, and that's, and Cecilia, if she wants to do the rematch, if she doesn't retire, I mean, that's kind of the main focus right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. I mean, there is uh you know, there is a 140 pound champ who's, who's kind of, you know, 35 minutes away in Gary, Indiana, Mary McGee. <laughs> There's always that fight as well. Um, yeah. uh, you- I mean, you know, going back to like big money, big names. I mean, there's, there's not, I don't, I don't know who would actually pay to see that fight. I mean, you know, yeah, um, she's gonna- <laughs> oh, I gotta speak. I gotta speak. Uh, I think like I, she's a she's in a Clarissa position. I think she's burning bridges, and and I've tried to help her because she's so close. And we, meaning me, uh, Jessica, and a couple other of my fighters, we tried to help her in her career, and she's made, um, um, in my opinion, foolish mistakes. And and I think she's shown nothing but disrespect. So for us to fight her, if we have any belt, is a favor to her. And again. Um, we're not in the favorite business, you know that. So it's like, you know, if, if she was more respectful and, and like Clarissa, if if those two women were more respectful and more, uh, you know, brought more to the table, um, you know, I see it as a favor. You know, if Clarissa comes down to 147, brings nothing other than her name, um, that's not enough for me. You know, she'd have to, you know, bring a couple purses with her and her promoter to, to make the money right. But, um, again, uh, Mary McGee is like, I mean, I, I think that's like a Manny Pacquiao, uh, Floyd Mayweather fight. That fight is that fight is a done deal for Chicago. But I mean, I don't want to waste that on on the zone. You know what I mean? That's like that fight will happen, whether it's in the street or whether it's in a boxing gym. But <laughs> you know, I think that fight's inevitable. But um, you know, if she doesn't do anything uh, other than one win, one belt, then she's not appealing to me. Especially when we got six belts seven belts you know that's right you guys got the ring magazine belt as well so so Mm -hmm. uh, man so much hardware well listen guys um really really appreciate your time you know whichever whichever path you guys choose i I wish you the best of luck um really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me and uh good luck in the future 
Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank, Thank you so for much. having us. All right, guys. All right. All right. Take Have care. Have a good day. You too. Bye. And that will do it for another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It In The Ring Network. I'd like to thank Jessica and Rick for taking the time to speak with me. Really enjoyed the conversation. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment or a rating on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Audioboom, SoundCloud, or wherever you access the Boxing Esquire podcast. I really appreciate it as it helps new listeners find the podcast. And also, do not forget to check out my companion piece of this podcast on ringtv.com that will also feature quotes and background on the interview with Jessica and Rick. And until next time, so long, everybody. Did you get what you was looking for?